You're listening to the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. Like I look back and I just, you know, I think, man, the times that I've acted out not in love, in something other than love, in reaction, in, in frustration, in offense. And I hear Denville, who's, you know, you know, my, my closest friend, you know, next to my wife, and who knows me the best, and who knows the, the funky stuff that could go on and does go on or has gone on to some degree, and, and the good side, and, you know, and, and for him to say, you've always sided in love, I just, you know, is, is, that's only a work of the Holy Spirit. That's only a work of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I, I stand very weary of teaching that says you need to get out in love. Because it's not something you choose to do. Love is not something you come up with on your own. It's not something you make a mental decision on. It's not something you say, you know what, I'm going to go out and love people. It's impossible and you can't. The only love you have to give is the love that's been poured into you. That's been poured into you by Christ Jesus. And I just felt, um, you know, this isn't easy. <laughs> this isn't easy for me to get up here and stand. And, and, and I, I've, I've taken the position of, of, of being a fool and, and willing to be humiliated for the Lord and, and so on and so forth. And I've suffered some of it. Some of it I've got up there and the Lord's been like, that's not too bad. How's it? I'm like, no, that wasn't too bad. But, but it's only because of the love of God. And, and I want to just tell you guys, I want to just, you know, focus specifically on, 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 on first love, on bridal love, on the love that we have um, as the bride of Christ, with Christ, our groom, in a moment. But the love of God, you know, <laughs> like I accepted the Lord in my life when I was about six years old. And, and from that day, I, I did notice at six years old a change. Um, there was a change, and there were moments where I felt the Lord, you know, break in and speak to me when I was alone, where, where the Lord would call someone to give me a word, and it would just shape my life, and, and he was there. I mean, I will not argue that he was there, but I walked away from it because I wasn't taught how to sit and contemplate and meditate and dwell in, in, on this love relationship with Jesus. I wasn't told that it was a love relationship that we were to have with Jesus, as, as I have with my wife, and, and you have with your husbands, and you have with your wives. That is first. That comes first. And because of it, I did some really crazy things. You know, like I've so, I, I, I lived most of my life so overwhelmed with fear. I used to get up, and I've shared this with some of you. I remember junior, senior year. It's not even that I was so young. I mean, 17, 18 years old, even as a young adult. If I had to give um, um, a report in class, and I had to read my report. Before class, I would just come up to the teacher and I would say, please give me a D minus because I cannot. And I would be shaking and I would be like, please give me a, a D minus because I cannot do this. And one time she did it and everybody laughed because I was just, my voice was like, ah, and I was crying. I mean, my tear, my eyes were, were welled up with tears and I was sweating profusely and I was stuttering like, this is not something that's very easy for me. Now I'm used to it a little bit. But when the anointing is not there, it's very easy for me to go back to that 17-year-old boy who was scared of everything. 
I was overrun by fear. I didn't know who I was. My imagination was, was perverted. And all I did is, is long to be accepted and loved. And I was addicted to, to sex. I was addicted to pornography. I didn't know who I was. I hadn't encountered love. I haven't encountered the love of my bridegroom, Jesus. I started our marriage, you know, <laughs> and, and I thought I knew what love was by my, um, how do I say this? I, th- I thought I knew what love was by my experience of what love wasn't. So I said, well, I'll just not do this. And that's love. And that's not love. Love only comes. True love only comes from encountering Jesus and him pouring his love into you first. And it's not an ideology. It's not a theology. It's not a doctrine. It's not a, I understand this for the Bible tells me so. It's an experience. And you know the moment that you have been gripped by the love of God because everything changes in your life. And not until now, am I, you know, Jesus is gracious and the Lord has taught me what the love of God is through her. But not until recently have I begun to become awakened to what a husband is supposed to do. And I'm, I'm stumbling and fumbling through it, but I'm getting there and I see it. And you know what it is? It's because I've learned first what it is to be the bride. And I want to say that. I want to say to the church, but I want to speak to you husbands. We're going to read in, um, a portion of scripture um, in Ephesians that I, the Lord just showed me earlier this week, just so undervalued, one of the most undervalued portions of scripture in the Bible. That to first be a husband, you must, to first be a, a good, true, spiritual, godly husband, you know, in the natural to your wife, you must first be a bride. And that's a foreign, foreign concept. Because we don't know as men what it is to be a bride, to be the woman, to be the one who is pursued, the one who is wooed <laughs> by the love of God, the one who can just sit still and say, and say I'm going to stop doing for myself. I'm going to stop trying to prove that I, I you know, am a man and I can do this and I'm, you know, the machismo stuff goes out the window and people won't respect me, um, you know, but just be the, the, the cup the empty vessel, the bride. Like Solomon writes about in, in Song of Songs, the bride. The one who Jesus comes and adores and loves on. I just want to read that scripture really quickly. Um, Ephesians 5, 21. And further submit one. First, let me just, yeah, let's, okay, let's read it. Thank you. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Your wife, uh, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as glory, as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or anything or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. 
So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Is there more there? I'm going to read. I'm just going to finish the rest. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So husbands also, I'm just going to repeat from 28. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For the reason, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband's, her husband, excuse me, husband. I love the fact that Paul just refers to Christ in the church. Christ in the church. Christ in the church. Husband, wife. Husband, wife. Respect, love. Respect, love. Respect, love. And then he says, he starts to address earthly husbands, earthly wives. And he says, this mystery is great. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. This has been undervalued and passed off as marital advice, as marital counseling. And I, and I think it's great. I, I don't know that there's better advice or counseling. But it is impossible for you as a husband to love your wife unless you have been a bride to Christ first. And you have received that, that, that love of the bridegroom and shown what it actually is. And it is impossible for you to submit to someone whom you are not fully convinced loves you. So we say, she doesn't, she, doesn't, she doesn't submit to me. And I've been there. I've been, I've been one of those. There's a great book. I actually didn't make it all the way through. It's called Love and Respect. I got to the first part where it said, uh, she doesn't respect me. <laughs> and I said, she doesn't respect me. When we had little tiffs and things were going, you just need to respect me. And listen, maybe, that's, maybe that may not be false. And she could probably easily say, you don't love me. And that may, that may be true in the moment. But she will never a wife will never submit to a husband unless she is fully convinced that he loves her. Not because I put a ring on it and I said I love you before some people. I mean, that should be the pinnacle of it. I mean, that's, that's you know, that's it in, in, in retrospect. That's symbolically, you know, what it should be. But there's days and years to follow after that. Without love is just supposed to grow and grow and grow and grow and take off to a level far above what it was. And I can never, you know, I try, no matter how hard I try, just over the, we've been married almost 14 years and I just, I'm thinking like, man, I, re- I have moments where I'm, I just sit and I'm like, God, like, I, I, you know, I am so lucky. I'm so fortunate. 
but there's something in the moment sometimes that it gets stunted. And I'm like, how is it hard for me to express this love? And the Lord has just showed me time and time again, like, you need more love. You need to receive love. You need a revelation of the, of the bridegroom and the bride. And, um, and so that's what I've just been really digging into the last, like, probably six months or so. And it's funny because Denville asked, hey, would you, um, we're talking about the kingdom of God. And there's one, you know, uh, lesson that's going to be God reveals his love. And I was like, well, I'd like to do authority. You know what I mean? In my head, I'm like, of course I will. But in my head, I'm like, I can do authority, like, without preparation. You know what I mean? I, I got it. You know, the authority, the power, everything, you know what I mean, that Denville's really been teaching to this point has just been awesome has been awesome, and I'm so glad that it was him that did it, not me. Um, but it forced me to really dig and stir up and stir up this, you know, this bridal love, this first love that we're supposed to carry on daily, never graduate from. I just, I remember one day I was, I was visiting at a church, and I was, I was going to minister there, and during worship, uh, the Lord just spoke to me, and, you know, I was talking with, uh, with a brother beforehand, uh, and he says sometimes God just speaks a word, and it's like it cuts the legs right out from underneath you, and I just fell out, and I was weeping, and the Lord says, I was at a, a season where I was being really challenged in, um, in my faith, in, not, not in my faith in general, but really moving forward in things that the Lord has, has spoken to me in faith uh, to, to, to grab hold of, and um, the Lord said, your inability to, to act out in faith is only because... It's only because you're, you're not fully convinced that I love you in certain areas. And I think that's a really big principle. Like, we don't exercise faith because we're bound up in fear in certain areas of our life. And we're bound up in fear in certain areas of our life because the love of God has not come forth and been poured out. And just totally snuffed out that, that fear. And this is, this is it. I mean, this is bridal love. I, as I was thinking, I was just like, Lord, you know, just show me some stuff and, and uh, you know, about love just so I can give you some more, you know, some more points instead of just get up here and talk and, and, and probably cry and all this stuff. But, you know, I think about the kingdom and, and our relationship with the Lord and, and I just really see like three, I don't want to say stages because they're, they're so blended together, but there's like, relationship between the creation and the creator. And then we come into kind of like sonship, right? And there's, this, there's sons and fathers, right? And then there's the bride and the bridegroom. And as I begin to think about it, we don't ever graduate from one to the other, abandoning the, the path, the previous. We only grow in revelation of one to the other. And then a season will come back around and the other one will come back and the Lord will water it and that garden that's already been, you know, flourishing will just grow more with more fruit, with more flowers until this abundance comes. And it's the same way when we grow in relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's seasons in our lives where you can say, you know what, I'm really growing in my relationship with the Holy Spirit. And there's seasons in your life where it's like, man, the Son is just, the Lord is just revealing His Son to me over and over. Christ crucified, Christ resurrected. And there's other seasons where it's like the Father's love is just being poured out in me. And I'm being affirmed and I'm growing. It's the same way with, with these stages of love relationship with the Lord. And, um, you know, I just, it's so important. It's just so important. I just want to talk about this just briefly. I know, um, yeah, we're just, um, 
I'm just going to cruise through some stuff. And, and I, 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 this mystery, I mean, this is the mystery. Paul says it's a great mystery. It's beyond submitting to your husband and loving your wife. Because in the very beginning, he says, submit one to another. So you have a husband that will not submit to the voice of his wife, to the needs of his wife, to the desires of his wife to be loved. You can say you love her all you want. But she's not going to respect you. And you know, just um, as we were talking about, um, well actually the the word that Jose had about lifting Christ high, I just, um, you know, the church is the helper, right? It's, if it's the bride, it's truly the wife. Like God gave Adam a woman. He said a helper. Not that she's less than, but to help her, to help him, to lift him up. I think about my wife. She is the most, um, she lifts me up. I mean, if it wasn't for her, the Lord showed me what you know, my life would be like without her once, and it was horrible. <laughs> it was dark, it was grim, it was, it was hopeless. And she lifts me up. She affirms me. She knows who I am. She knows who I'm called to be. And she repeats it when I'm having a pity party. And the other day, you know, I got really attacked a few weeks ago and it was bad, you know, and it wasn't even something that I had ever really struggled with. And it was just bad. And she said, she just came and she said, what's going on? And she's like, that's not you, get up. She's like, she's like, don't claim that. She's like, that's not your stuff. That's not your, that's not even your stuff. You know what I mean? That's not even like old stuff you struggle with that's coming back. You're, that's not even your vomit you're returning to. That's somebody, that's not yours. She's like, get up. You know, I'm talking about lifting the Lord high as his helper. Saying, Jesus, we recognize your great worth and your great value. Only because we have a revelation of how much you've loved us. And we're lifting you up until All men are drawn unto you. That's the word. That's what what a helper is. That's what what the bride does. That's what we're all called to do. Um, In Ephesians uh, 2, I'm sorry, not Ephesians 2, in Revelation 2, um, just really quickly, God, uh, you know, the Lord is just speaking to the church at Ephesus. This is a a verse we all know. Um, He says, I know your deeds and your toil, and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have, you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent." The first love. This is, this is of prime importance. Of prime importance. It's not, and as I read this scripture, because I, I, as I thought, as the Lord told me first love, I said, you know, let me just, Revelation. I just started to read about it. He says, he's talking about the church of Ephesus. And the Lord led me to just to Ephesians 5. And the great mystery. And, and this is what I feel. And I, I feel we're going to release this today. Um, About three nights ago, I had a dream, and it had been about a week or so, two weeks since I had a dream. I get a lot of dreams. Most of them, if I could say 95% of them are from the Lord, and the other 5% are just crazy. And I came out into my backyard, and it was at night. 
and there's a, a, there's a lot of light pollution where I live, and um, it's really hard to see the stars at night. I mean, you may see 10, 11 stars. Um, the night of the the uh, meteor shower, you know, it was very clear. You could see quite a bit more, um, but nothing to be moved by. And I came out, and I looked up at the sky in the dream in my backyard, and it was like looking at the pictures you see from space, where you see every, every star, and you see every planet. There were constellations that I could see that were so clear. I could see, you know, stuff that I've heard of that you can't even see, you know, in South, in South Florida, where we are with the light pollution and all this stuff. Um, you know, you can't even see. I could see everything. I saw stuff I didn't see, or I didn't even know existed, okay? I saw just amazing stuff, and I sat there in awe and wonder, and I said, oh, my God, what is this? I'm like, Lord, this is crazy. And I just laid down on my back because my neck started to hurt from looking up so much. I just laid down and I looked. And I looked and I looked. And I took out my phone and I was trying to take pictures. You know, and obviously that doesn't quite work. You know what I mean? Um, with, a, with a phone camera. And I'm just sitting there and I was so upset. I mean, I was bothered by the fact that I couldn't capture this moment. But I was so moved by the fact that God would show me this. I mean, I could see the Milky Way. I could see variations in color of galaxies. Those that were far off and, and lighter, more purple, blue. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. And I, was so, I woke up and I was so moved and I was like, God. I mean, <laughs> if that's all the dream was, you know what I mean? If it wasn't significant or, or prophetic, that's, you know, that was enough for me. Just the fact that God would allow me to see this in my mind's eye, in the spirit, in my dream was great. And as I prayed, I just felt the Lord say, this is revelation. This is, what, this is what the revelatory realm looks like. They were all there every night, all day. They're always there. But until the Lord peels back the heaven and allows you to see it and clears things out, then you begin to see more and more and more and more. And I've been praying that every day since then. God, I want to see more. I want to see more. I want to see more. And this is my prayer. I'm going to just release it now, actually, because I feel like the great mystery, you know, that Paul is talking about Christ and his Christ, the bridegroom, the husband and his church, the wife, the bride, this great mystery would be revealed. So I just, um, guys, just open your hands, you know, just open your hands. Father, I just release it now. I thank you for the hunger. I thank you that you've wet my appetite with that dream. I thank you, Lord, that it couldn't compare to anything I've seen Lord, anything I could ever imagine, anything I've seen with my natural eye, Lord, I thank you for the hunger to see more. I thank you, God, for peeling back the heavens in each one of our, um, God, in each one of our lives where we can see just deep, 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 far and long into the spirit, Lord. I thank you, God, for seeing. I thank you for receiving what you mean in Scripture. God, and I just break off in Jesus' name, Lord, everything that would keep us from capturing it, Lord, um, every doctrine that we've heard for years and years and years and years, saying, this is what this means when you've meant something different. Holy Spirit, I ask that you just minister that deep, just deep, deep, deep right now in Jesus' name. I just thank you for it. I just thank you, Lord. Yeah, so... Um. This is very important. Um, do you guys have Matthew 25? Bridal love is very, very important. Um, we actually, we don't have to read it all because it's pretty long. Um, 
you guys know the story. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it, if that's cool. All right. So the ten virgins, you guys know that, that parable? Jesus says the kingdom of God is like ten virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom to come. They all had oil and they had lamps. The kind of lamps they had back then had a specific type of wick and you need to trim the wick a certain way to keep the flame going. And you needed oil to keep the lamps burning. Well, there were five that were unprepared and there were five that had trimmed their wicks correctly who had an ample amount of oil. The bridegroom shows up. Five were disappointed because they ran out of oil as they were waiting for the bridegroom. And the bridegroom shows up and finds five that were ready, that had their, their lamps burning. And you know, I just believe that this is the oil of intimacy with Jesus. There are intimate places of our lives, intimate places of our hearts that he so longs to just enter, that he so longs to just take control of. And preparedness and vigilance is a key to to, to bridal love, to having this love for Jesus. For the longest time, not until I really received this revelation did I understand, for the longest time, I would wake up in the middle of the night, if I I were to wake up in the middle of the night, um, and especially it happened every morning. And before I was, you know that kind of state where you're like not quite awake and you're kind of not quite asleep, you know, and I receive a lot from the Lord in that, in that little that little kind of it's like a thin little layer before I'm fully awake of consciousness. And I, would, and I would just realize like, sometimes I would be trying to get up, but all I could say is, Jesus, I love you in this state. Jesus, I love you. I mean, even to, even to the day, I mean, every day this happens. And it happens sometimes when I wake up at night. I'm just like, God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, have more of me. You don't have enough of me. Have more of me. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, take me. Take my life. Take my life, Lord. And, and, and this is... This is vigilance. I'm, not, I'm just using this as an example. I'm not saying I have it, you don't. I'm, not, I'm, not say, I'm just saying that this is vigilance. Because I didn't understand what it was. I just thought for a while that this was me unable to get up and pray. <laughs> Unup, unable to get up and spend my devotional time in the morning like I wanted. I wanted to. It wasn't like it was a work or, a, you know, I wanted to do this. But I just couldn't do it. And not until the Lord kind of unpacked this in my life did I realize the Lord said, this is bridal vigilance. Your oil, your oil is stocked and your, and your wick is, is trimmed. So that's what that is. If any of you have been like, you know, <laughs> wondering why stuff happens, why, why consciously or subconsciously you're just, you are crying out for God. It's not because you don't have him. It's because you have him. It's because you have him and you've tasted and seen that he's good and you want more. And I have news for you. There's more. The only time you are starving, you, you find your, you'll find yourself in a, in a place where you're starving for his glory, starving for his love, starving for his presence. is because you've only had a portion already. And you're dying for more because you know that he's good. This is the same, this is the same. I thought, you know, how could they be ready if they were sleeping? Other than practically preparing the lamps and, you know, and, and the oil beforehand. This is the same this is the same love that Solomon talks about in Song of Songs, where it talks about, um, though I was asleep, my heart was awake. God cares about your heart. 
I promise you he cares about nothing else. He does. I mean, he cares about all of you. But he can do nothing without your heart. He cares about your heart. You can give him everything. If you don't give him your heart, you've given him nothing. And you can only give him your heart as much as you've been awakened to his love and trust whatever portion of love you have and say, God, I want it. I, I want more. Here it is. Take it all. Take it all. This is good. Is it me or does it feel fiery in here? It feels fire. I feel very hot. And I know the AC is running. God, there's a fiery, passionate Jesus Christ. <laughs> a man. A Jewish man is returning. Ponder that. I don't know where he is right now. <laughs> in time and space. He is. But he's yet to, But we have the spirit right now. Jesus is returning a man that once left this plane, this dimension, and he's, I'm not going to try to explain it scientifically because I'm not fully convinced that I can, but he's coming back and there's going to be fire in his eyes and he's going to be looking for a bride who's sitting there with her lamp saying, Jesus, I'm ready. He's going to notice your clothes are pure white. He's going to say, I prepared a table for you and it's me. The feast is me. The wedding supper of the lamb is me. Are you going to partake? And if you're standing there with your lamp and your fire, you darn well better know that you're going to partake. This is it. This is the, it's about nothing more. It's so simple and it's not so easy because we get cluttered. And like Jose said, we lift other things high. There's partiality, there's mixture, and we lift it high. It's got Jesus in it, but it's also kind of this. And we do it with our best intentions most of the time, but we lift it up. And the only thing, the only, only satisfactory, uh, the only satisfactory sacrifice to the Lord is that which he's given himself. It comes back around. He doesn't want what you have to give. He doesn't want what I have to give. If it hasn't been transformed by love first and come back around to him, it's not pleasing. And that's not a, condom, that's not a condemning word. That, that makes it easy. That means your job and my job is just to receive. It's just to sit. I love what Todd Bentley said when he was here. My go-to prayer is more, more, more. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Fill, 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 fill. It sounds childish and selfish, but, but that's what it is. Right? Can you see him? More, more, yeah, like, That's what it is. That's what it is, and that's what it feels like when he's pouring it on you, and he's pouring more on, and you're like, I feel selfish, but this is too good, and I want more, and I want more, because I know, I know that you will not receive as a satisfactory sacrifice that which has not first come from you. It says that every good gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. It comes back down. The gifts are manifested in the earth. His gifts. And they're a, they're a pleasing sacrifice to him. This is love. Listen, I'm ruined. <laughs> You're looking at someone who cannot take another lover. <laughs> and if you see, and I give permission to anyone who sees me and it looks otherwise, come and kick the snot out of me. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Sometimes I need it. All right, so listen, I'm going to make just a couple parallels really quick because I think this is where part of the mystery, I don't have it all. 
But this is part of the mystery. And this is so good. This is so good. I'm actually going to go to my notes now. And we're going to end after this. I didn't bother to look at the clock. I apologize. I didn't do it on purpose. I'm not. <laughs> and no sweat. No sweat. Oh, Lord. This is good. You know, why, you know why John stepped out of the way when Jesus came? Why John the Baptist stepped out of the way? You guys have the verse in John 3 up there? Thank you, Vidal. Oh, not John 19. I think it was, actually, I might not have given you John 3. I got it here if not. I want to read it right. It's John 3.29. Jesus comes up as John the Baptist is baptizing people. Okay. And, and like Denville said, he said, behold the Lamb of God. This is a bunch of other stuff. The one who I must decrease before so he can increase. And there's a reason why. I mean, there was revival happening. There was great things happening with John the Baptist. But all he was ever doing was preparing the way specifically for the bridegroom, for Jesus as the bridegroom. And John 3, 29, if you guys can't throw it up there, don't worry about it. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. I want you to remember that verse. He sees Jesus. He sees the bridegroom. And he says, you have the bride. He sees them as one. He sees them as one. He says, behold the bride. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Such an odd thing to say. I always read that. I'm like, you know, maybe some Hebrew thing. I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand. I like, whatever. Skim, right? Pass by. I want to go back to creation, to creation. I want to talk about creation, and I want to talk about the cross very quickly, very quickly. Am I very quickly? I hope, it, I hope it's quickly. Um, I love this quote from St. Augustine. It says, if God is love, then there must be in him a lover, a beloved, and a spirit of love. For no love is conceivable without a lover and a beloved. So we have God before creation. He's God the Father, he's God the Son, he's God the Spirit. Everything is great. You guys know the story, the account of creation. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Okay? Creates Adam. Out of the dust of the earth. He says, we need to make one like us. Okay? I know you guys have heard this a million times. In our image, just like us. We need to make one just like us to dominate the earth, to subdue, to reign, to manage the earth like us. And he saw it was good. He made him, made him with the dust. He blew his life, his divine life into him. And he rested. He said, yeah, I'm pleased. And this is very good. And he rested. Day seven comes, Sabbath, rest. Day eight comes, 
God is bringing animals, everyone, fish, birds, lions, zebras, legs, legs. Wow, you ever just do that? <laughs> legs, giraffes. <laughs> That's funny. Legs. I meant to say daddy long legs. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, giraffes. <laughs> More, Lord. Thank you. Right? So he's watching Adam, and Adam is naming. He's releasing the identity, the purpose of each animal. He's saying what they are. He's giving them names. He's noticing that every one has an exact replica, a mate. One made of it and just slightly different to complement it. Okay? And, and, and I fully believe this. Adam starts to get lonely. He starts to look at it. And he starts to say, I don't have one like that. I like this. I like the, this is why I said legs. I like the giraffe. It's got long legs. But I don't like spots. That neck is too long. The tiny little head. He sees the lion. He says, look at that. Look at that mane. I like it. <laughs> Claws too sharp. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't work with that. Kitty likes to scratch. <laughs> Sorry. Don't, don't, get me st- don't get me started, please. So he's, he's, there's this desire. In it, and I'll tell you why. Because though the Trinity was fully satisfied within itself, Love is expanding. If love, if your love, and this is why we cannot pour out our love into others' lives. But once we have the love of God, it has to or we combust. And then it gets poured out anyway. Okay? Love is ever expanding. It will not stop expanding. It includes and it includes and it includes and it gets poured out and it gets poured into. That's the nature of love. That's the nature of God. So God says, okay, Adam, here, I love you. Now you're getting included. You're included on this. So we have the father who, like St. Augustine um, said, was a lover. The son who was the beloved. And that relationship was going on. And the spirit of love back and, you know, back and forth. But then love is growing. And then the son becomes the lover. And Adam becomes the beloved. Okay. This is, this is very similar, like when we have, those of us who have children, you know, we feed, we, we, as parents, we love them, we love them, we, we affirm them, we pour our love into them. But at some point, them reciprocating that love back to the, back to the lover as the beloved is not enough, and they start to be overwhelmed with passion. And, and those of us who have sons or daughters start to kind of notice the, you know, the opposite sex, and, and you know, and, and, and there starts to become this desire to pour out love in a relationship that looks different from the previous. Are you guys with me? I don't, I want to, it's, I want to paint it clearly. The lover and the beloved. Now we have a new dynamic to this relationship. The beloved Christ has become the lover and Adam is now the beloved. Okay. Now Adam was exactly made in the image of God. It says in our likeness, like us, exactly like us. So now Adam like you said, he's looking, like I said, he's looking at all these animals and he's like, there's not one like me. There's not one like me to be a beloved or to be my beloved. So the Lord notices that. He notices it because it's a familiar feeling, right? And he says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a beloved. Now, this is what's so amazing. You guys know the story. He, he puts Adam into a deep sleep. 
Now, probably the first time Adam has ever slept. Before, before the fall, right? I, maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, okay? But if so, that's pretty amazing, right? A deep, death-like sleep. He, he opens up his side. He pulls out from him the rib. The, an, another translation, that word um, in Hebrew is not just rib. It also means um, uh, curve, right? It means, it means bend, okay, like a curve. Um, I've heard commentaries or read commentaries where they say that that's not actually a rib. He's talking about the DNA, the, the helix, right? His very DNA, yeah, exactly, was pulled out and he created Eve. Well, he created the woman. He created the woman. Exactly alike. Adam woke up. He says, yeah, me likey. Me, me likey. It was very easy. It was very easy for him, right? He said, that's one just like me. Different, but just like me. Now, now, this is, this is where it gets very, very, very good. Did Eve have in her the ability to just love? She needed to receive it. It was, Adam was charged up. He was ready to go. He was like looking at the lion. Nope. The giraffe. Nope. He had it. He had it. He was, he was getting ready to, he just to combust. He said, I need someone to be the, the recipient of this passion, of this love. God shows him Eve, the woman. He says, yes, that's what I want. That's what I've been waiting for. That is the desire, my soul's desire, my heart's desire is this. He says, thank you, Je- thank you, Jesus. She loves him. She, she just, I mean, what does she know? She's just, this is her first day. She's, what's, go- what's going on? She's, uh, eight days will give you quite a crick in the neck, you know, like, right, the math is wrong, not eight days, two days, right? We'll give you quite a crick in the neck. She's getting used to it. And here he comes. Oh, <laughs> the one I've been waiting for. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love when Denville said when, when there's two and, and a, a young lady comes to him and says, what do I do? This, this guy, he's just pursuing me. He, he says he loves me. He, he, want, you know, he wants just me and his life. And, and he says, just let him love you. Eve, just let, let Adam love herself. And what happened, that love was then reciprocated. Okay, so we have the lover becoming the beloved, desiring at this point to create one in his image because love is ever expanding, creates a beloved for him to pour out his love and become the lover. And then we have this because Adam, because he was made in the image of God, is now, you know, pouring back the love as the beloved. And now he's saying, but, but I need someone to pour it out on that's different from me. And here comes the woman. So now the woman is the beloved and Adam is the lover. I love that I was reading that. I didn't, I didn't even realize that I was reading as I got to, Gen- I mean, I was just stuck in like Genesis 2, you know? It's just amazing. I got to Genesis um, 3, and then I realized that her name didn't become Eve until after the fall. She was always the woman. The woman. Because they, had, they were the same. They were the same. It even says in Genesis um, 5 that God created man and woman uh, and called them human. They were one. Called them human. 
It wasn't like we got men, we got women, you know, we have, uh, you know, Europeans, Africans. No, it was, was human. It was, they were, there was a union there. There was one because she came from him. They were the same. Okay, now I want to just talk to you really quick about the cross. Because it's such a beautiful picture. I love, you know, Denville does such a great job about marrying the Old Testament and the New Testament because that which has been fulfilled and that which has been spoken and, and, and sometimes gets negative connotation, um, really when we look at it through the heart of God and, 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 and really prophetically, like, it gives us such insight into the new covenant. Right? It's the same God. Our circumstances have changed. Thousands of years ago, things were a little different. So we can't really relate to to how he was relating to people. But it's the same God, the same intention. All right? So the cross. Do you guys know the church's birthday? The cross was the church's birthday. It wasn't when he, when, when Christ told Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the son of God. And he says, you know, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You know, I'll build my church upon you. He goes and says, that's, that wasn't the birth of the church. The birth of the church was the cross. So Pilate orders the soldiers to go and cut because it was getting late. Okay? He goes, he says, you know, we need to make sure that they're dead so we can get them down. Go and break their legs. Breaking their legs, the weight would come off their legs. They would just asphyxiate basically to death. Okay? They came to Jesus and they said he was already dead. Deep sleep. He woke up. He was in a deep sleep. God put him in a deep sleep. The soldier comes, he pierces his side. He pierces his side with the spear. And what happens? Blood and water come flowing out. Blood and water come flowing out. And the church is born. It might as well have been Adam and his rib. This redemption of Adam, of God putting Adam in a deep sleep and removing, extracting from Adam's side. We see God again putting his son on the cross into a deep sleep and extracting from his side. And the church was released. Why blood and water? Because we're a, bl- we're a, a bride that is washed clean by the blood of Jesus of all of our sins. It says it in 1 John, it says it in Ephesians 1, it says it in Ephesians 4. Why water? The blood because we're holy and blameless now. The water so we will not thirst or be satisfied with another lover. All our thirst is quenched in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. And in you will be wells of water. He says in another portion of scripture will be rivers of living water. The church was born in that romantic moment on the cross. For years I would, you know, the Lord would, um, and not that it's wrong, I, it's ministered so much to me. I would see the cross and I would see the brutality. He allowed me to see the brutality in ways that I would feel it on my body, that my soul would feel like it was being wrung out. And I'm so grateful for every bit of it. The, the rejection, 
that I felt in this moment, moments after moment in, in, in the presence of the Lord where he said, this is what it's like. This is what rejection is. You think you know, and you have a foretaste, but this is what it felt like. And I was, made the mistake of sharing it with a, a few people who, you know, I probably could have chosen my audience better. And it was like casting pearls to swine. And I learned to cherish the moments that Jesus has given me with him and not be so quick. They're meant to be shared, but not to be so quick to just share them. But moments of great suffering. And the Lord allowed me for the first time just very recently just to see how beautiful, I mean beyond beautiful, how romantic and how passionate the cross was. Because, you know, I love the scripture in Hebrews 12. It says, for the joy set before Jesus, he came to the cross. He endured the cross. The joy set before Jesus is you, is his church, is the bride of Christ, is the new Jerusalem, is Zion, is the holy city. That's you. That's me. That's passion. That is love. Beyond a, I love my creation and I'm, you know, emotionally invested in it, so I have to come do something to redeem it. He says, I want you because from the beginning of the time, from the beginning of time, I've passionately, passionately loved you and pursued you. And this is God revealing his love. This is the great mystery. When we submit to each other in, in marriage, you know, and love each other in the covenant of marriage. It's a covenant of marriage. Has, I have news for you. It really has nothing to do with you and your husband loving and submitting to each other. The effect will be that. But you cannot use, I cannot use any longer my, as an excuse for my behavior, my wife doesn't love me. Or she wasn't acting in love in this moment. Once our eyes have been opened to the fact that Christ has come as the bridegroom, romantically in love. I want to say this. It sounds weird. <laughs> and the first few times I said it, it sound very, sounded very weird. But I'm going to say it. Romantically in love. Romantically in love with you. With his bride. My prayer today is that we would, especially as men, because I think it's very hard, it's harder. Because we've grown in this world to relate to this. Because we've been handed and spoon-fed a, a uh, not perverted sexually, but perverted, just twisted um, sense of masculinity and femininity. And the bride of Christ is you. And I want to exhort you and encourage you today. You know, we have shows on TV where it's all about the bride. Bride going to pick out her dress. Right? You can go on Netflix, there's seasons and seasons of seasons of seasons of people, of women spending thousands and thousands of their parents' dollars. <laughs> So that they can pick out what they like. That's not the origin. That's not the origin of marriage, of the dress, of being adorned. The wife prepared herself for her husband and dressed to allure her husband. So her husband could come down the aisle and say, Phew, yes, that's me. <laughs> All day. I'm talking about 
Esther soaked herself for how long? In oils, precious oils for her king. She prepared herself. In Revelation 21, as the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven and being established on the new earth, it gives a description of the holy city. I'm not going to read it all. It's very long. I'll just, I'll just refresh your memory. It says, the gates are made with pearl. Not pearls, one pearl. Big old honking pearl. The walls are 216 feet one wall wide. Solid gold, the entire place. 12 precious jewels, 12 different precious jewels, numerously all around encrusted the city. No darkness in the city. The light of the presence of the Lord is always beaming, is always shining. And he says, behold the bride, the holy city. We need to adorn ourselves to that standard. Not to say I'm a better wife than I was last marriage, or I'm a better wife than this person, or I don't think I deserve this kind of treatment. Or we need to take it to the Lord. And say, Lord, adorn me, adorn me, so that I look like this. I look at, um, you guys know Georgian and Winnie Banoff. I, I love them. I love, their, I love their, their testimony of their marriage. It was falling apart. She despised him. They were both Christians. They were both ministers. One day he's crying out to God and all he can think of is, I'm going to go tell my wife that I'm going to love her like Christ loved the church. And something happened. It hit her. And now they have the craziest relationship ever. Crazy in a good way. I'm talking about young teenage lovers is what they're like. Loving just joy and youthfulness and adoring one another and preferring one another over each other. And I I look at that all the time and say, Lord, give me that. (laughs) Like, I want that. And the key isn't, I'm going to go tell my wife, I'm going to love her like, you know, whatever. That came in a rhema moment. Go say it because this is what I'm doing and declare it on earth as it is in heaven. And it happened just like that. But to seek the Lord, I encourage you, seek the Lord. Seek him, seek him. Say, God, make me a bride. Get alone with him. Say, Lord, make me a, make me a bride. Here I am. In the words of my wife, she says, Jesus wants to knock you up. <laughs> Forgive me if that sounds offensive, but he does. There's a place of conception for the bride of Christ. See, he's not coming back for sons and daughters. He comes back in Revelation for the bride. There's a a maturity difference there. The revelation of a son, I'm still having it. It's amazing. It's transformed who I am, how I relate to the world, how I relate to the Father, how I relate to everything. But there's a... There's a, a next level that is the bride. He's not saying, I'm coming back for all my sons and daughters. Papa's here. No, he's coming back for the bride. He's coming back as a husband. He's marching down the aisle. He's meeting with the bride. She's dressed in white. In Revelation, it says that white, the white garments that she's wearing are the deeds of the church. This is not a works mentality. This is, a de- this is deeds and works based on revelation of being the bride. This is the acceptable, this is the accept, acceptable work of the Lord. So like they said, we can make it about things. 
we need to do things. I mean, we need to do something, right? <laughs> I'm not saying we don't do anything. But first, prime importance, getting alone with him, being with him. Lord, here I am. Take me into your throne room. Doing the due diligence that you have in your relationship with the Lord to make sure that you are adorned for your king, for your husband. And what he does, there happen, you know, what's the first thing people do when, when they get married? I thought so. Okay, honeymoon. When you go to a wedding, I remember we went to Devil and Krista's wedding. Instantly people started to talk about, when do you think, when do you think there was going to be a baby? My brother's wedding, both my brother's wedding, how long before the baby? And not long. Not long, right? It is the natural, of order, natural order of things. In, in marriage, for fruitfulness to come forth, for conception. And that's when I say that God wants to, Jesus wants to knock you up. I'm not being heretical. I, I, you know, I don't mean to offend you. But there's a seed that God wants to plant in you, in your life, that only comes, will only come from this love, this first love, this bridal love. It will result in, in a new level of relationship. It will result in, in this marriage, and it will result in fruitfulness. And that is ministry. It's ministry is what it is. It may not look like this, but your service unto the Lord, your life being a service unto the Lord, what he dreamt of and predestined you for. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.